Welcome back to a spooky edition of Earwax. I'm Cody, joined by Hillary. Hello, Hillary. Hello. Hello. And in just a second, we're going to talk about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds' Murder Ballads, which is an appropriate album. Can't even wait. Can't even wait. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be great. Um, first off, let's talk about what we what we did yesterday, which was uh, we went to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery and we saw a screening of Halloween, and it was put on by Synespia. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> that is a little I don't bit. Know. Yeah, <laughs> and that's all I have to say mm-hmm. on the matter. Um, no, it was great. Uh, Synespia, if you are not in Los Angeles and you're not aware, they put on uh, large movie screenings in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Very famous cemetery. Lots of important people buried there. Uh, but it's also just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were lots of booths set up. Amoeba had a booth there. We all got to hang out. And we watched the movie, which is just a classic. It's a perfect horror movie for it, for exactly what it is. Perfect length. Uh, everybody laughed at the appropriate times. Nobody was yelling and talking over one another. Uh, you can bring your own food and drink there. We didn't need to because they were supplied for us. Man, they it hooked us up. It was awesome. Yeah, they really hooked us up. Nice seats at the front yes. with cushions. Um, a great score, yes. which is relevant. Um, also, did, everybody who worked there, so respectful. So super nice, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so th- thank you to Synespia mm-hmm. and Hollywood Forever. That was such a great time. Um, and if you guys haven't seen Halloween, I mean, do yourself a favor. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Halloween, Cody? The holiday or the uh, movie? I kind of want to know both. I don't like horror movies. <laughs> I don't like being scared. It, it I don't like the feeling mm-hmm. of being scared. I uh, people that relish in it <laughs> go ahead, rip me to shreds. Congratulations to you. <laughs> you can deal with your fear healthily. <laughs> but when someone sets out to make a movie that is designed to scare me, I don't like that. Oh man. Oh, I love them. <laughs> I, I respect it that we wa- mm-hmm. uh, Halloween was great. The car- the John Carpenter score iconic. That theme is amazing. It's a well made movie. Um, I totally get why people appreciate it. I I had a great time watching it. I do, I do respect it. I don't like horror movies. I don't like haunted houses. Was that too much for you, Halloween? No. Okay. It, yeah. So the. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's go. Okay. So. This is how sensitive I am to this. Yes. The I only jumped hard one time and it was <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty mundane. You know the part where th- it's pretty early in the movie where they're looking into the house and then like he stepped through the screen door and then like he steps into the frame and you kind of see and they have like a sharp sound cue mm-hmm. that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> That's, and was that like, did that make you feel like, angry. oh, I wouldn't watch. It makes you feel angry? Deep resentment and anger. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. I cannot stand that, like, being put on edge so suddenly. And it's like, I, I, it's, I can't control. There's no control. No, to, absolutely. No control to it. It's just like, we got you. And oh, f- I hate that feeling. Okay, so... Let's really get down to the core okay. of this. Let's, let's, let's mine a little deeper if we want. <laughs> I want to know, um, is, that, is it really the jump scare for you that is the infuriating part of horror? Mm-hmm. Or like when it dips into psychological horror beyond that and there's no jump scares, it's just all sure. about the concept, is that equally as uh, uncomfortable? It's the jump scare. Uh, I love Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. I love The Shining. Okay. There, there, yes. and there are some. There are a few jump scares. I, mm-hmm. I don't like those parts of the movie. Like, by the way, Shining, 4K restoration, best 4K movie really? I've ever seen. It looks incredible. I, I love those. I think those are really engaging films. But when they have, and there's only a few jump scares in them. I hate them. They really border on the thriller yeah. aspect. I, I can't stand. I do not like jump scares. The other moment. 
that I saw coming in Halloween is whenever she's discovering the bodies and the guy flops out of the closet. Mm-hmm. I was like, I see I got this a picture coming. of that one. I, yeah, I I knew it was coming, so that one didn't. But I'm like, I hate that. I hate that. You know, I tons of people love jump scares, of and they course. only go to horror movies for them. And I love horror, and I also really don't like jump scares because it feels like the horror that I really want to get to is like, oh the concept of this, I really just love storytelling. You know, the concept of this is what's making me uncomfortable or like challenging me in a way. I more want, I feel like horror is one of those genres that is constantly surprising you. And I love it when it does that thematically. Yeah. You know, I want to be watching something and all of a sudden feel like, oh, I had no idea where that was going. Well, like the Carpenter, the the Halloween movie is really well made because the jump scare is a culmination of like you're never at ease in that movie you can never just sit back and relax in that movie because michael myers is always somewhere staring right like you just know (laughs) and so you're waiting for the jump scare that and you're always on edge and you're all and then when it finally comes you're like momentarily totally out of control of your body and then you just go right back into like Tense. All right, when's the next yeah. one? And I just can't stand that feeling. Okay, because see, I when I'm watching a horror movie, uh, while I do, I feel like they're, I've watched enough now that they're fairly predictable most of the time. Yeah. I'll be like, okay, jump scare now, you know? Uh, they'll lead you up to it. I don't feel like I watch a movie and go, uh, oh, I'm just waiting for the next part. I'm just waiting for it to happen. Again. That's how I feel all the time. Like Aww. as soon as the movie started, like the movie started with the that opening theme, mm-hmm. which is amazing. I was like, yeah, here we go. Got to lock it and just tension, just immediate tension and like white knuckle the whole way where it's like, ugh. Ooh, I guess I, okay. So I can relate to that in, hmm. I, I read a lot of horror short stories. I don't know if you guys know this about me. I read like horror, I like delve into Reddit <laughs> Horror short stories yeah, almost like every night like before I go the to sleep. No sleep. Yes, yeah. Reddit no sleep. I'm on there like every day. Um, and I also horror is my favorite genre of video game, but I cannot play them. I will watch every horror game like moment to moment enraptured. But the second that I put myself in the driver's seat, it's a totally different thing than a movie or book experience. It all of a sudden I feel like, oh, I'm in danger and I am paralyzed, totally paralyzed, cannot move in the game. I feel that a similar way if I'm going through a haunted house or something like that, I have to have somebody walk in front of me. If it's happening to me, no, the tension is a little too real now. It can happen to somebody else, and that's fine. (laughs) I won't go. What's the they they have the thing that's going on right now in LA, the haunted hayride? Yeah. I. We should all go. And if there's enough of a like enough of a push to go, then I'll go. But haunted houses, haunted hayrides. It's just like, all right, there's going to be jump scares. And I, I'm i choosing in my moment of escapism, the emotion I'm choosing to feel is fear. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely I, not. Like I, if I'm going to if I'm going to engage in escapism, I want to laugh. I want to think or I want to not feel fear. OK, maybe the thing that I really like about it is that um. I have a very complicated relationship with fear. And in this situation, you're choosing to endure a fear that you can control. You know, like it's almost like uh, like immersion therapy. You know what I mean? Like you're getting just close enough to it that you're like, okay, I can feel this out and I know I'm safe and I can like connect to myself and know uh that I can experience this and everything is okay. But, uh, and now I'm I'm just in- enjoying the thrill around it. No, I don't. If someone is like, hey, what did you do this weekend? And my answer is, oh, I went to the movies and put myself in fight or flight mode for two and a half hours. <laughs> that seems like a wasted weekend. And like, why would I do that? No, no, 
No, thank you. And yes. And yes. <laughs> yeah, more power to you if you love it, but I hate it. Well, but thank you to Nespia. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about the album we're going to get into today Um, for a couple reasons. First of all, we both know it's a perfect Halloween album. Yeah, it's really great. It really is. Murder Ballads uh is awesome and like the short stories that i say i'm always reading um this album is basically a sequence of short horror stories which is like taylor made for Mm -hmm. me um i also want to talk about the total polar opposite side of nick cave which is very strange i have a and myself (laughs) on on the polar opposite of content that i really enjoy uh spencer and i a few years ago got into this absolutely ridiculous uh reality show that you guys have heard us talk about called love island and it's a primarily british reality show they have a u.s version too and they have an australian version and uh last year actually the general manager of our location, Chris Carmina, is the one who got us into it in the first place. He just kept recommending it to me. And eventually I was like, all right, I got to check this out. It it sounds interesting. You know, why not? And then we got, it happened, he told us right before the pandemic hit and the store got, the old location got shut down. And so we had a full year of nothing to do. Love Island. And we mainlined that show. And then like a year ago, uh, Carmina and I get to talking about Nick Cave's. Nick Cave has this uh, newsletter that where he connects with his fans and they can ask him questions. I'm sure you know about this. uh, The Red Hand Files. Mm -hmm. And there was a segment of the newsletter where somebody asked him, what is the primary difference between you and your wife? And he said, the main difference between she and I right now is that she watches Love Island and I don't. But it's because uh, it's because at the time there was this guy on the season, the current season called Luca, and he was a very close family friend of theirs because uh, his parents were very close with theirs um, due to a very traumatic incident that bonded them together that I don't really want to bring up just out of respect for him, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Anybody listening, I'm sure you might know what I'm talking about, and if you don't, you can look it up. But um, they were very close, and while Nick Cave was going through this terrible time, uh, Luca's parents would come over and make them tea because they were neighbors. They Mm -hmm. just came over. They made them a full lasagna. And then they would just come over and say nothing and make them tea, cook them lunch for months. like, And just say nothing. Just sit in silence. And Nick Cave said that was like one of the most respectful things. And it really taught him a lesson in sometimes you don't need to know what to say in times of discomfort. You just need to be there and support these people. And that's what they did for him. And his dad, Luca is a fishmonger. His dad's a fishmonger. He says to this day, Nick Cave says that Luca's dad will just bring him over fresh fish, drop it off, not say anything, just say, have a nice day, like all the time. And he said, for that reason, they very much support Luca winning Love Island that year. (laughs) It was just like the weirdest crossover of two totally different things that I enjoy um, that I still think about that almost every time I think about Nick Cave. It is too weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) and now let's talk about the store events. Coming up at the San Francisco location on Sunday, October 29th at 2 p.m., we'll be having Mengers and Vondre, two really fun grunge-inspired bands from Mexico. They'll each be doing a mini set and signing presented by Psyched Fest. And stick around after because Hate Street Art Center will be there with their screen printing bicycle. Sounds very whimsical. That, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, Sunday, November 19th at 2 p.m. 
Arhuli Records uh, Down Home Music book signing. And the book is called Arhuli Records Down Home Music, The Stories and Photographs of Chris Strackwitz. It's a 240-page book with many never-before-seen photos of the American uh, Roots music scene. And co-author Joe, Joel Selvin will be doing the signing and a live DJ set with Juan Antonio Cuellar. Awesome. At our Hollywood location today, which is Thursday, October 26th at 5 p.m., we'll be having L.A. band Honey to perform an in-store for their new album, Honey's New Planet Heaven. On Tuesday, October 31st, Halloween at 11 a.m., big one coming up. Very uh, cool. Devo is going to be doing a signing. Uh, yep. Gerald Casale, Bob, and Mark Mothersbaugh will be signing their new box set, 50 Years of De-Evolution, 1973 to 2023. That's pretty sick. Yeah. And if you haven't, you should go back and check out our second episode, which covers mm-hmm. their very first record. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and also, that same exact day, Tuesday, October 31st at 4 p.m., Halloween, we'll be having our annual Halloween dog costume contest. There's going to be candy for people and treats for the dogs and prizes, but mostly it's just really fun to come out and see this. Uh, it happens every year and people get really creative and often build costumes around their dogs. So they're very comfortable. I think uh, the winner last year was the plant Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors and they built the plant around the dog and it was very adorable. It's one of my favorite events that Amoeba does. Yeah, it's (laughs) really fun. So come on down, check it out. And you can always find more information about all of our in-store events at Amoeba.com. It's time to get into new releases. And for that, we have Spencer. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. This week's new releases are very spooky. Would Ah! you you like to guess why? Why? Because there's not that many new releases this week. Oh. There's just a lot of reissues and stuff, but... (laughs) Our first that ghoul- is terrifying. <laughs> Pretty scary stuff. Our first ghoulish release will be from up and coming artist Tyler Swint. Oh wait, no, I'm reading that wrong. Taylor Swift. Her oh, new album, 1989, Taylor's version, will be available on CD, cassette, and Crystal Skies blue vinyl. Hmm. All the more impressive for such a new artist. <laughs> Duran Duran are releasing their 16th studio album on CD and vinyl entitled Dance Macabre. Mayor Hawthorne is also releasing a new blood-soaked album called For All Time, which will be available on CD and vinyl. Indie band The Mountain Goats have a new album entitled Jenny from Thebes, which will be screaming onto CD in yellow and black (laughs) vinyl. The film score for the Barbie movie will also be available on vinyl as well. Terrifying. Very, very scary. Outside of that, we have a hearse full of reissues and anniversary <laughs> releases coming in the form of Prince's Diamonds and Pearls on CD and vinyl, Led Zeppelin's Four on clear vinyl, Journey's album Frontier celebrating its 40th anniversary edition on vinyl, Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil on CD and vinyl, and last but certainly not least, mm. Barbara Streisand's absolutely terrifying soundtrack for <laughs> Yentl yeah. is getting a deluxe 40th anniversary edition. We need those deep cut Yentl tracks. Very, yes. very scary stuff. Indeed. Hey, Yentl's See a classic. I totally you is. Later. <laughs> and then he just disappeared. I can't wait for when he's Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> dive right into the album of the week this is nick cave and the bad seeds murder ballads it is uh, released february 5th 1996 it is their ninth studio album that is is deep into their discography yeah and they do another full set after this it's only like halfway through their career yeah they were formed uh, after and with members of his previous band, The Birthday Party. Mm-hmm. You speak a little bit more about Nick Cave, you said? Yeah, he was in the, like you said, he was in The Birthday Party. It's like 
post-punk. It lasted only like six years, end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. Uh, but it it's a very infamous band. You know, it left a lasting impression on post-punk and gothic scenes. And John Peel really loved them. Uh it, they ended up earning a reputation as one of the most violent live shows you could attend, which is uh, not exactly what I always think of when I think of Nick Cave, mm-hmm. except for when I think of the birthday party now. Um, he also has done other work outside of just music. He wrote and scored the film Ghosts of the Civil Dead, uh, which was directed by John Hillcote. Uh it's an Australian prison film. If you don't know John Hillcote, he also directed that Crocodile episode of Black Mirror. Oh. Um, he's made a bunch of movie- movies and also directed a ton of music videos from everyone uh, from, sorry, he's made a bunch of movies and also directed a ton of music videos for everyone from Susie and the Banshees to Run the Jewels awesome. to Massive Attack and even Johnny Cash, who has covered Caves quintessential song the mercy the mercy it's a great cover totally um and my personal favorite is he also made a promotional short for the game red dead redemption awesome yeah very cool uh nick cave also has a side project grinder man which is much more garage rock and like i mentioned earlier he runs a newsletter where he can speak to his fans regularly but he's mostly known for this band nick cave and the bad seeds which like we've said has an extensive discography yeah and this album appropriately titled murder ballads um contains lots of murder lots of murder can you tell me exactly how much murder it contains i believe it is 75 people and one dog <laughs> that die uh in on these tracks um which like violence and dark themes are not new to nick cave in the bad Mm -hmm. thing in the bad seeds it's like pretty par for the course but the idea of making an entire record about it was something that they um they had said there's an interview where uh, nick cave calls it as like that it actually started as a joke because the idea of nick cave and the bad seeds dedicating an entire album to murder is like too obvious yes and it, the idea had been building for years especially because a lot of their early work is inspired by delta blues mm. which we talked about with robert johnson uh i think we should talk a little bit about what a murder ballad is go yeah, you know go for it um because murder ballads are a very specific subsection of Delta Blues or just like ballads in general it's and it's exactly what the title says there's been uh <laughs> there's been so so many uh folk songs especially but older traditionals that are based off of the concept of telling a story it's like a short story put into the context of a song and even smaller subgenre underneath that of all of these stories revolving around murder murder it's exactly what it says and to the original concept that Nick Cave had that had been building for years before this album came out, like you mentioned, that was centered around this joke, was also because he was a huge fan of these murder ballads and of Delta Blues in general and wanted to do his own contribution. And he did a ton of research into exactly what that was. A lot of the research that he did for this album was pre-internet, so he used his musicologist friend, Mick Geyer, uh, to help him out doing research on hundreds of murder ballads for this. And they sourced a lot of that through the anthology of American folk music, which is produced by experimental and surrealist filmmaker Harry Smith. And it's divided into three separate sections, the first of which is titled Ballads and features exclusively songs that feature a similar style of specific mm-hmm. storytelling. So they spent years researching exactly what a murder ballad is, how it should sound, and how Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds can do their own very personal take on that. 100%. And you could probably write a dissertation about this album and the way it connects to and serves as a window into the history of folk songs. Totally. The influences that he uses pretty liberally Mm -hmm. throughout this record are really a great gateway into Appalachian folk, 
uh, Irish, British, Scottish, and other American folk songs. I mean, the influences here are, they're not subtle, um, but they're wonderfully done. Um, I really love that uh, the bassist, Martin P. Casey, he called it a party record. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah, they so they were coming off It's of, a perfect Halloween party record. It is record. a perfect Halloween yes. party record. Um, they were coming off a headlining tour in Europe. So they were like, you know, they were headlining and then they went right into like the touring version of Lollapalooza <laughs> and they were the mid-afternoon 2 p.m. set. <laughs> this is this set is not built for that. No. And they said that they were like in between L7 and the Breeders. Whoa. At like okay. 2 p.m. Who featured all three of these bands uh, at that time? The touring Lollapalooza. But they <laughs> said that they did not click well with the audience and that they were <laughs> really burnt out and like pretty irritable by the end of this tour. And so this album is like kind of a catharsis for them, like a lot yeah. of anger and kind of resentment and like screw this kind of went into this album because they went from headlining in Europe to the afternoon, the mid afternoon set. Yeah. We were talking about um, catharsis through horror and like what that means and watching horror. And I love that it seems like everybody in the band is on the same page about their take on this, which is uh, finding humor, even in the darkest of places. That's really what it, the whole album is. Well, and that, I think, is a really great way of uh, kind of accentuating the point that you were talking about is it what makes it such a great Halloween record is it it is very dark, mm-hmm. but it's also in spots very comical. It's so funny. And so there's like a real playfulness that blends in well with the idea of Halloween where like, yeah, it's very horror themed and everything, but there's always like all in fun. Yes. Right. It's like it's all in fun. Um, and they really toy and play with that line between earnest, earnestness and and like kind of cheekiness yes. throughout the record. Like I'm telling you a true horror story that should chill you to your bones, but I'm also aware of the fact that it's a horror story, you know, like and I am really playing it up on stage, like doing it as ridiculous and over the top as I possibly can to really sell this story. And that in itself is funny. It's not really happening. Well, and we're going to, we'll talk about Stagger Lee here in a second, but that's the best example of that. Totally agree. It's like, it's, it's based in reality. It's a Mm -hmm. real story, but they, they take it to such a bizarre level that you're like, I can't help but like laugh about this. Yes. Um, before before we get into the track list, do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about? No. Okay. I I think that um the track list really will go back and forth between like what is the best, most interesting part of this album. And the songs really shine through on this album because each one is a little mini story yes. in and of itself. It's like we said, it's just a chronological uh or it's just a compilation of short stories, like a little, little book. Song of Joy is an utterly fascinating track to start the album. It is quite the tone setter. Uh, this is the song, along with O'Malley's Bar, uh, that kind of inspired this this uh, album. This was written during the sessions for their previous album, which was called Let Love In, but they didn't think that it fit into the vibe mm-hmm. of that album. So Murder Ballads is essentially them building a home for like these two songs and then just committing to the idea of, like, let's make a whole record about murder. Yes. And what a ride to start this album. I want to talk about the story of this song, uh, especially because it's my favorite story on the album. It reads like a perfect horror short. It's great. Yes. So the idea is that uh, it's like a short story that's told from the perspective of a a stranger that's asking a family for shelter from the cold. Mm. And he goes on to tell them this story about a man who fell in love with his beautiful and notably happy wife, Joy, and her slow decline into discomfort and depression throughout their lives together. And they have three kids that behave similarly around him, and it, it starts to feel strange Mm -hmm. you know and then one day while he is conveniently out seeing a friend his whole family is murdered in a particularly brutal manner and also very conveniently they never found the killer who this man knows has murdered many many other people since since 
So this song welcomes you to draw your own conclusions from exactly who this murderer might be. Yeah, the the killer uh, wrote lines from Milton's Paradise Lost in Blood. Mm -hmm. And in the song, the narrator is like, I didn't even know what Paradise Lost is. Which I'm told is from Paradise Lost. And then later in the song, he quotes Milton yes. again. So you're just like, this dude murdered his family. I know. This it's dude's... so brilliant. It's uh, Cave even said, a good song has the ability to continue to reveal itself to you long after you've written it. And this one's pretty good for that. 100%. The, the, um, the line talking about his red right hand, mm-hmm. this was, I was unaware how much the, I, like the imagery of a red right hand mm-hmm has been used throughout history. Like, it's in the Nick Cave song. It is a direct quote from Paradise Lost. Yes. uh, Nick Cave has used, he has a song called Red Right Hand. This song is a sequel to that song. Yeah. Uh, The Roman poet Horace used it. Mm -hmm. The idea of, um, like, in the Bible, the right hand being, like, the the, the hand of judgment. Like, Mm -hmm. I had no idea that, like, the red right hand was this thing I like saw it in the song and I was like, okay. And then I researched it and I was like, what? Oh, yeah. What a is a blind spot for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, I guess this is just a big thing that I didn't know about. It's going to be one of those things that you see pop up everywhere in your life awesome. after you uh, notice it. You mentioned the song Red Right Hand that was on the album before this, Let Love In, that this song is a sequel to. Yeah. And Red Right Hand is the theme song to the British crime thriller series Peaky Blinders. Also. Oh, I didn't know that. Awesome. So, which like really sets that series up well. That's all I had to oh. say about that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Stagger Lee. Yes. Banger. Love it. Favorite song on the record. It's not a hot take. Not a deep cut. It just no. it just crushes. Yeah. And the story behind it is extremely interesting. Well, it almost didn't make the album. That's true. Which is crazy considering how popular yeah. it is. Like it's I think it's one of his like signature songs. Mm-hmm. And they were doing overdubs and one of the drummers, Jim Scout uh Jim Sclavunos mm-hmm. had uh, brought in a book called The Life, the Lore, and Folk Poetry of the Black Hustler. And Cave found Stagger Lee in it and he loved it. And they started tinkering around, and Cave told the uh, bassist, Martin P. Casey, to play something sexy and evil. Mm-hmm. I saw that. And they had been, I guess the band that summer had been really into the Ghetto Boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, Casey, in particular, had been listening to Scarface's album, The Diary. Mm-hmm. And so the that. rhythm section that you hear on this, se- on this song is like really, it's hip hop influence. Oh, yeah. I mean, just to clarify, this is a rewriting of a traditional yes. folk song that's evolved in many ways over the years since its original creation at the end of the 19th century. And there's one common thread between the many versions of this song or songs adjacent to it, which is that they all revolve around this story of a notorious criminal named Lee Shelton mm-hmm. that was often referred to as Stagger Lee or Stago Lee, or there's many different ways to say Stack-a-lee. it. Stagger Lee. It's like... And th- so the version that I knew of mm-hmm. was Mississippi John Hurt's version. Okay. Uh, I, this is a great version, um, very like Piedmont blues, Delta blues style. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I, I was doing the dishes um, mm-hmm. when I was playing this record and I didn't have like the track list up. And so this song came on and I was like kind of nodding along and I was like, what? Like, is this that song? Because it's <laughs> it's not like the Mississippi John Hurt version. And I like checked it's the, certainly like in your face. Very. <laughs> and I like checked the track list, and I was like, I'll be damned. He really just went for it mm-hmm. on this song. But this is based in in truth, like you said. This is based off a man named Lee Shelton, who uh, the basic story is on Christmas night in 1895. Lee Shelton, who was a gambler pimp and carriage driver a <laughs> uh, man of many talents <laughs> renaissance man a renaissance man if you will and uh, his acquaintance william billy lyons were drinking in the bill curtis saloon and lyons was also a member of the st louis underworld and eventually the two men got into a, a dispute allegedly about politics and uh, lyons took shelton's stetson hat which is yeah. Oh, he crossed the line there. Yeah. Forget the politics. Let's talk about this hat. Let's not. <laughs> yeah, don't mess with someone's lid. 
And Shelton's reaction, reasonably enough, is to shoot him. Mm-hmm. Recovered I'm, his hat, and well, then maybe left. he just had terrible hat hair. He or didn't he, want yeah. anybody or, to yeah, see. I mean, if you're kind of like thinning mm-hmm. up top, mm-hmm. the hat is important. <laughs> uh, so Shelton shoots him, takes his hat back, and leaves. Lyons died of his injuries. Shelton was charged, tried, and convicted of the murder. He was eventually paroled in 1909, which is wild. <laughs> You got parole. Rules are different. Yeah, rules are different. You <laughs> shot a man over his head. The judge must have been, or the, the parole board must have been like, that's a great hat. Like, <laughs> oh, we saw this hat, and yeah. it was absolutely justified. Uh, he returned to prison in 1911 for assault and robbery, and he died in incarceration. I think he was actually pardoned for the last conviction, but he Damn. died before he, he got out. And uh, yeah. Nick- Oh, sorry. Go <laughs> no, ahead. you go. Just that Nick Cave's version is is kind of an amalgamation of mm-hmm. all these different versions, but he takes it to like a very more. It's a much more intense place. Oh yeah, other people that have recorded a song in reference to these events include Ma Rainey and Louis Armstrong, mm-hmm. Duke Ellington, Woody Guthrie, Ike and Tina Turner, James Brown, Wilson Pickett, Doctor John, The Grateful Dead, Bob Dylan. Huey Lewis in the News, The Black Keys, and even Neil Diamond. Can I give you one more? Yes. So the line, this lyric, he said, well, bartender, it's plain to see I'm that bad motherfucker called Stagger Lee. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is a direct lift from a group that covered it called Snatching the Poontangs. <laughs> oh, how could I forget? Which, well, it is interesting, not only because it is, is it hilarious, but also because that group featured both Johnny and Suge Otis. What? Ah, oh, dang, the more you know. The more you know. Hmm. That's a great line, too. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. It's an even better band name. Yes. <laughs> but more than anything, this song is just such a faithful adaptation of them paying respect to the genre. Like, knowing all their shit about uh, doing their research about murder ballads and being like, this is such a classic tale that has been retold about this man who just developed a reputation as a badass for like one terrible crime that he committed and uh, putting his hat in the ring. Hey. hey. Yeah. See what I did there? I, um, did. I liked it. Essentially, uh, and doing their own version of this was a very smart idea, I think. Totally. And if, as far as a traditional is concerned, it gets no more like iconic as far as like traditional murder ballads than yeah. Stagger Lee. It's great. Uh, the next song, Henry Lee, is another traditional. This one is a Scottish ballad, first known as Young Hunting. Mm-hmm. And, or Henry Love is or another Henry popular Love, right. name. Yeah. Uh, Cave's version, the Cliff's notes of the story is a guy's mistress says, let's go. Mm-hmm. And the man says, no, I love my other uh, lady back home more than you. And his mistress- She's mist- like, totally, Yeah, the totally. mistress is like, okay, but how about one more kiss? <laughs> and the dude is like, hell yeah. And he gets, <laughs> he gets uh, shanked with a pen knife and dumped in a hundred foot well. Uh-huh. That's, hey, that's what you get that, for cheating. Them's the breaks. <laughs> it, uh, this song features PJ Harvey, and uh, uh, she's in the music video for the song. Oh, man. This yes. video is crackling. It is hot. Sizzling. <laughs> Uh, for good reason, Cave even describes it as very intimate, which is that's a uh, word I putting use. it lightly. Um. And they both started dating after this song was made, which makes perfect sense. Uh, their chemistry in this video, because the video is like super minimal. It, like it's it only features those two and camera work. Mm-hmm. They don't cut to anything. It's just those two interacting, and the chemistry between those. Unreal. Well, I needed a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly feel a little bit invaded right now from watching this music video. <laughs> um, it's uh, This song has the same chord sequence as Curse of Millhaven, which is coming up later, yeah. but just a different tempo. And Cave sent PJ both this song and that song and asked her to choose one to sing, and she chose to sing this one as a duet. So obviously the feeling Man. was mutual from the start. Um and he loved her performance in this song. Uh, there's this really dark joke that, <laughs> that he told. Uh, he was doing many hard drugs around this time, which 
We did not want to glorify. And yeah, even sure. in retrospect, you know, he uh, seems much happier now. Sure. Uh, but around this time when they were dating, he was afraid that uh, the drugs were going to be an issue for her, which shockingly they probably were because they only dated for like four months and it was extremely intense. And he will later talk about how she broke up with him by calling him on the phone and he recounts it as though she said, uh, he was like, hey. And she was like, I want to break up with you. And he was like, why? And she said, it's just over. And then he said, I was so, he, and then he said, I was so shocked I nearly dropped my needle. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like a messed Whoa. up joke. Okay. But it is, uh, he's poking fun at it, you know? <laughs> And that was not supposed to be a pun. <laughs> Leave it in. <laughs> this song, being a traditional, he does adapt it in a different way than a lot of versions because um, in the song, there's a bird that continuously, the, the refrain refers to a bird that lands on Henry Lee's dead body. While in previous versions, the bird is a talking bird who uh, threatens to and eventually rats out the mistress who ends up burning at the stake or is killed by the authorities in some way. Yeah, like the the traditional or the original versions, the bird is like, I saw that. And the the mistress- bird? Yeah, and the the mistress is like, come here for a second. (laughs) I'm not going to do nothing. And the bird is like, oh, no. You're not going to get me that way. No, no, no. I saw what happened. And so the bird goes to the authorities and the authorities kill her. She actually what happens is the authorities come back and the mistress is like, it was actually this other woman and they throw her in the fire, but then the fire doesn't burn her. So they're like, well, she's Witch lying. for it, sure. Yeah. So then they throw in the mistress and the mistress burns and dies. Oh, great. So, <laughs> you know. So pretty, it's a happy, happy tale. Typical. Yeah. <laughs> it fits right into the album. Fits right into yeah. yeah. He could have done it that way, and it would have fit right into yes, the. But totally. I think the way that he did it was a little bit lighter, which is just the bird it's landing just a on a little his, more fun. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where the wild roses grow. Where do we even begin? I with mean, this my one? goodness, this was the lead single, which I really love because it's a duet with Kylie Minogue, mm-hmm. and uh, the, I have a quote from him about his. Uh, I have a quote from him about Kylie Minogue, which is, uh, he says, Where the Wild Things Grow was written very much with Kylie in mind. I'd wanted to write a song for Kylie for many years. I had a quiet obsession with her for about six years. I wrote several songs for her, none of which I felt was appropriate to give her. It was only when I wrote this song, which is a dialogue between a killer and his victim, that I thought I'd finally written the right song for Kylie to sing. I also heard that. (laughs) <laughs> and my very first thought was, huh. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming like maybe where his mind is going is it's a take on the uh, dangers of celebrity. You know, like I don't know this person and I I don't know this person personally, but I feel very close, very connected mm-hmm. to them. And there is like a fear around that for the other person in the in the equation, you know, uh, knowing that he was doing an entire album about murder ballads and knowing that where she fit in with that was, OK, well, I feel this complicated way about you and let's just like air it out. Let's like poke fun at it a little bit, you know. This brought this song was quite successful and it brought Nick Cave to the mainstream due to Kylie Minogue's pop appeal. And so uh, she is the most lucrative Australian artist of all time. Yeah. He commented that I'm that he was pretty sure that her fans were a little bit shocked when they bought this record (laughs) and was like, oh, I bet I'm going to listen to this, you know, kind of pop Mm -hmm. crossover with Nick Cave. And then the rest of the record is. The rest of the record. Yes. Or like he will talk about how it really brought out some really cool things for them in terms of uh, 
this record ended up in the wrong living rooms, you know? <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that idea, and I love that he embraces that, and he's like, these people would never have listened to me, and this is the weirdest possible album totally. for them to choose to start, and they st- they still started, you know? Uh, but at the same time, he and Kylie are performing live together, and she's, like, s- such a team player. Oh, she's yeah. wonderful on this, and was very enthusiastic about her contribution, but her fans would come to their show and be like, who is this creepy guy? Who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a fair response. Yes. I think it's a fair response. The story behind this song is um, essentially in slow motion, watching a man and a woman go out to a field, and then he bashes her head in with a rock mm-hmm. and then places a rose in her teeth, and that's the story. Well, he's like stalking her right. from afar, and he like lures her in, yeah. and she's playing this like ingenue, essentially, who's like sweet and innocent. Um, uh, but what I really love about it is... Like I said, she was so game to be a part of it and like still looks back so fondly of it. Still looks back so fondly on it. I uh, I know that when he first wanted to get in contact with her to make this song and he decided it was the time he wanted to reach out for a collaboration, he did it through Michael Hutchins, who uh, she was dating at the time, and he's the founder and lead singer of In Excess. Oh, right. So... Yeah. Uh, he reached out to Michael and she, he was with Kylie at the time. And he asked, hey, do you think Kylie would be down to do this? And he heard her in the background going like, yeah, absolutely. Like, let's go. That sounds awesome. so fun. You know, um, later, uh, which we didn't mention earlier, this album was nominated for an MTV Music Award. Mm-hmm. And he declined very politely and dramatically uh he declined the nomination. He didn't want to be a part of the award circuit. Very respectable. Yeah. Um, later, Kylie went on this show. It's called Letters Live. It's a British program in which performers and authors and other people of note in the entertainment industry get on stage and read important or personal letters aloud. And they do everything from letters as serious as a found letter written by Gandhi and meant for Hitler uh, to, in Kylie's case, Nick's letter to MTV declining to receive his nomination. Awesome. And you can still look that up on YouTube and watch her oh, that's read so it cool. to a whole crowd. She does it several times. That's wild. Yeah, and it's really fun to hear. It is it is a very dramatic and poetic letter, it's, as you would assume. Yeah, it is quite <laughs> flowery. Yeah, but she obviously loves it, and it's cool that she's still supporting it years later. It's a great crossover. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, and I think it's cool that, like you said, it, it brought a new audience to Nick Cave that maybe would not have uh, delved into him. Yeah. There's a number of articles and essays that I read on this record that make mention of the misogyny and Mm -hmm. the willingness to treat women as disposable when they no longer align with the man's agenda. And Christina Ruth Hasty wrote her 2011 thesis called This Murder Done, Misogyny, Femicide, and Modernity in 19th Century Appalachian Murder Ballads. (laughs) <laughs> which uh, points out that men's response to burgeoning women's independence in the 19th century, so a generation or two uh, before the women's lib movement of the 60s and 70s, was to write songs where women are murdered for daring to freely engage in relationships mm-hmm. and sex. And this record is deeply influenced by these songs. And when I first read that, like these articles that were talking about how misogynistic some of these songs were, I was a little bit taken aback because when you listen to, when I listen to the album, lots of people are being murdered. It's not, he's an equal opportunity murderer. Mm -hmm. And I think there's still some merit to that, but I think it is worth more than a passing mention that a lot of these songs that are on this record are derived from folk songs that were decrying a woman's independence and framing it as immoral. Because a lot of these songs are were taken and like rewritten or reframed by the clergy as mm-hmm. much as they were from the farm. I and I agree. I I think that it would be invalid to not represent that 
authenticity of the origin of murder ballads mm -hmm. is let's not pretend that at the end of the 19th century women were doing just great you know <laughs> like it is pretty regular sure. to have been treating women in a defamatory or aggressive or even murderous way at the time so i not ne i don't think it necessarily I don't see it as like a sexist sure. representation. He features other people on this album, many men yeah. as well, um, including, sorry, including uh, Shane McGowan from Celtic band, The Pokes, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but like you said, he is murdering tons of Lots men. Lots of people. Tons of men throughout this album. I don't think you have to be too worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Curse of Mill Haven is really great. There's a quote by uh, producer Tony Cohen that talks about like the collaborative nature and like how many people were involved in this particular song. And he said that he remembered seeing probably about 20 people all sitting on the floor, banging things and all sorts of stuff and basically having a huge laugh. And he, he once called them the Moron Tabernacle Choir. <laughs> Because I think the Mormon Tabernacle Choir is featured on this album. No, well, so the 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 name Moron Tabernacle Choir they're credited for the Congregation of Friends. Like That's they're so funny. yeah, they're on they're 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 credited under the hilarious. In that great Moron Tabernacle Choir. Oh man. Okay, so this song is written from the perspective of a little girl murderer, and it's the tales of all her murders. Um, so there's feminism, there you go. right? Equal opportunity there you go. murderers. Women can be murderers too. Yes. Um, some of my favorite lyrics from this song, because uh, it, it's very funny, honestly, oh, yeah. are uh, there's a part where it says, well, the last thing she said before the cops pronounced her dead was, my killer is Loretta and she lives across the street and 20 cops burst through my door without even phoning. I, I like that one a lot. That's great. So rude. Just um, can you call first? Yes. And then I also like... She says, now I got shrinks that will not rest with their endless Rorschach tests. I keep telling them that I think they're out to get me. They ask me if I feel remorse and I answer, why, of course. There's so much more I could have done if they'd let me. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Evil kids scare me. <laughs> You're talking about like, like horror stuff. The omen? No, man. Evil kids. Children of the corn? Like up until the last bit of Children of the Corn, where it's like it's a giant corn god, <laughs> just creepy kids being yeah. creepy kids, terrifying. I bet you hate corn too. I love corn. Well, I like the food corn. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, O'Malley's Bar is it was the first song that was recorded for the album during the sessions for their previous record, Let Love In, and I love the story behind this record, mm -hmm. or behind this song. Mans is uh, nursing a brutal hangover <laughs> in some god-awful German town. This is Nick Cave. N yes. Nick Cave is he's nursing a hang oh, hangover. Oh, yes. I do know this yeah. story, yes. He wakes up poolside with a mm -hmm. mad hangover at a, in some, in some god-awful German town. Mm -hmm. His words. And he's in a lounge chair, and he's in his suit, and there's just an ongoing party. Mm -hmm. Loud, mm -hmm. so he says. And so he doesn't have the energy to get up and leave and remove himself from the situation. So he started looking out into the crowd and giving them people and giving each person a name and then executing them in his head. <laughs> and this became like a running thing that he would do for anyone who would annoy him. He would just like write down the name and be like this is how I would execute them. And so when they went in to record this song, he had like 40 verses yes. of people that he was like I was going to execute them like this and they had to to pare it down. Pages and pages of verses, which, like, I would do that. Yeah. It totally seems like the band also is, like, he walked into the room, he played this chord on the piano, he was like, follow me, yeah. and then he went on for uh, Mick later uh, exaggerated 5,000 verses. 5,000 verses. Yes. That's a lot of people you don't like. Yes. I think that if I did it, I would, like, start really well, and then I'd get, like, burned out of imagining, yes. like... I'd get burned uh, out of like imagining new ways. And this so, one like, heart attack. Yeah, like after a while. This one tripped. Yeah, I would get like <laughs> resentful of having to do it. And I would just be like, it would just be like, it'd be like a page and a half of like pretty cool. And then like 16 pages of like two shots at the back of the head while they're asleep. God, 
you know? Yeah, I don't know. God. <laughs> yeah, like like once I found the most efficient way, I would just be like, we're just doing this over and over yes, again. Yes, totally. Uh, the, um, the, the, the story of this song is a guy goes into a bar and he's like, it's time. And he just starts <laughs> murdering everybody in the bar. And it's uh, told in graphic detail. You get their little last words yes. right before they pass. And th- this verse, this little section, it slayed me. I loved it. it slayed me. See what I did hey. there? Uh, it says, and as he screamed, you are an evil man. And I paused a while to wonder if I have no free will, then how can I be morally culpable? I wonder. I shot Richard Holmes in the stomach. Gingerly, he sat down and he whispered weirdly, no offense, and then lay up on the ground. None taken, I replied to him, to which he gave a little cough, and with blazing wings, I neatly aimed, blew his head completely off. (laughs) That's so good. It's like a perfect horror poem, even without the music. I love that the man who gets shot, who's been like, you're evil, he gets shot, he's like, you know what, that's uh, my fault. Yeah, my bad. And the guy's (laughs) like, yeah, none taken. He, but that's the cheekiness that we were talking about, right? Like, yes. that's what makes this like the great Halloween record that it is, because like this this song is like <laughs> there's so much murder in this song. Yeah. He's just literally just murdering everybody in the bar. But you're listening to it and you're laughing like this is hilarious. To your point, there's this great quote by music journalist B- Bernard Zuell that says. Murder ballads made people feel like they could laugh even when they were listening to songs of death. And this song is the perfect representation oh, of that. 100 million percent. Uh, Nick Cave has said about this album that um, it's a monstrous thing in the end, in my view, quite unlistenable. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, I guess it's kind of a nice record to have. <laughs> um, should I go on? Yeah, to- okay. sure. Uh, The final song in this album is called Death Is Not The End, where he reunites PJ Harvey and Kylie Minogue and Shane McGowan, and it also has Anita Lane on it. It's a Bob Dylan cover from one of his least popular albums that he ever made, Down In The Groove. It was his 25th album from 1988. And it's the only song in the album where we don't talk about death and murder, really. Death is not the end. Yeah, it almost feels like, especially lyrically, it's almost like a ghostly take on an optimistic, happy closer to a children's special. Oh, I love that. Just like putting a little bow on it and being like, but don't forget, it's not really all so bad. While they all bring in everybody that's played on the album to hold hands and sway together. Oh, That's exactly what it feels like to me. It's like, have you ever watched Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Yes. Like at, yes. at the end of the movie where they're just like, let's just bring everybody back that, that hasn't died. You know, <laughs> totally. That's that's how I imagine the end of yes, this. Yes, I, I totally agree. And it's especially if somebody's listening to this without knowing the context for the album and going like, wow, it's really aggressive. Hopefully this last song will sum up for you that they know just as ridiculous. They know it's just as ridiculous as it is in the best possible way. Totally. So Murder Ballads is a haunting and sadistic comedy special told through authentically traditional methods for horror storytelling. Music. Mm. This whole album invokes a feeling of being stranded with the company of an intriguing stranger lit only by the light of a campfire. Its greatest achievement is staying true to the theme and tone throughout with lyrics that read like beautiful poetry and robust methodical musicality that informs the building tension of each tale. Cave is a worthy frontman feeding into his own persona by heightening the aspects of his physicality and personality that complement the concept of this album, while also paying respectful tribute to an obscure genre he finds so fascinating that it feels impossible you won't to. This album is a new tradition and a Halloween staple for me, and I hope you feel the same way. So whether you've heard it before or never heard it at all, now is the perfect time to listen to this album. Perfect spooky record. Yeah. Boo. Boo. (laughs) 
Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or album suggestions, hit us up at our email, earwaxpodcast at amoeba-music.com. You can also check us out on social media, uh, Instagram and TikTok, at earwaxpod. Each of our stores has have their own Facebook and Instagram page, at Amoeba Berkeley, at Amoeba SF, and at Amoeba Hollywood. And Amoeba Hollywood has their own TikTok page. You can also sign up for our email list for contests, coupons, and updates on what's happening in all three locations of the store. And while you're there, check out the website to get free shipping on music and movies within the U.S. Also, please take a look at our web series, What's in My Bag? One of the most recent episodes I'm really excited about. It was with Michelle and Deggio Cello for her new album, The Omnicord Real Book, which came out in June of this year. Uh, it was recommended to me recently by a uh, co-worker, Jacob, and this album is so good. She's also a legend. She's worked with John Mellencamp, Herbie Hancock, The Rolling Stones, Basement Jacks, Alanis Morissette, mm-hmm. Shaka Khan, and Madonna. Yeah. So she's been all over the place, but she's really good. Please check out this episode. And rate, review, and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. That would be very helpful. And thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you around the store. And happy Halloween. Oops, we forgot to say that.